Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. Hello, happy hump day. Happy hump day. How are you? I am peacefully busy. I am getting through my to-do list, but I'm actually sad because we've just had the referendum and it was not the outcome we hoped for. No, it was not. It was actually very sad. And I do know people who voted no, so that makes me sad as well. Mm, Yeah. Yes. And I was hoping it would be closer. You know, the margins would at least be a little bit closer, but not at all. So It was a resounding no. It was a, yeah, it was resounding. So it's, I just found it really sad mm. and upsetting. Not, mm. not so much for me, more, more so for the Indigenous Australians who supported it. Yes. Yeah. Because that's a lot. Lots to handle that that kind of result. Mm. Um, and there's so many stories and the might stories for weeks to come. Mm. This by the time this episode goes out, it would have been a few weeks since. Mm. But you know, like I said, there's just so many news, so much news on it at the moment. Yes. Just after it happened. I mean, the result was out like within an hour yeah. of of well, the polls closing. Uh, which yeah, and I, and I, the liberal, the liberals were out there. Peter Dunlop, um, and the shadow minister, who who is an Aboriginal um, woman, and I think one of the things that they said, this doesn't mean that Australia is racist, which I mean, it just it felt so weird to me to say that because I'm just like, what, what, what? Why is that the first thing you've thought of to say on national television? You know. To reassure everyone that they're not racist. I, I think know. because that was p- part of the problem, and we talked about this last time, was mm. yes, voters were saying if you vote no, then you're racist. I think it was that whole accusation. Yeah. And so he made a point. Mm. But I think he shouldn't have made the point because it just had the opposite <laughs> effect. That's what it meant to me because it made me feel worse, to be honest, because it was one thing. To, to have the no and, and, and feeling that disappointment already. But then to have someone come on national television and go, you're not racist, my first thing was, 
Well, like, why? Because <laughs> when people are defending themselves, that's like the first thing you say when you usually are, you know? It shouldn't have, men- it shouldn't have mentioned that. I was wasn't briefed very well. Should not have mentioned that. Yeah. But this story from The Guardian mm. says, headline is Indigenous Australians grapple with gut-wrenching result but pledge to keep fighting. So First Nations leaders who campaigned for The Voice say the result is deeply disappointing and could set back reconciliation, which makes sense. It does. So digesting the result, it was a very ugly campaign. Yes. And there was those that stood for and against The Voice. So there was Indigenous Australians, First Nations that stood for and there was ones that stood against. And two leaders were in the No campaign, very front and centre. To indigenous leaders. Yeah. And you know, and they the design of the voice was a step forward in order to fight against racism, injustice, and equities of indigenous people. And I don't think anybody's de- denying those things exist, mm. but it feels like a denial when you don't want to move forward with a re- with a solution. And you yeah. don't seem to have alternative solution either. So, but Australia overwhelmingly, like, overwhelmingly voted against. Yes. So that was, the, it's only ACT, one of the states, only one out of this, yes. seven states? Yeah, seven states, which was, the AT, ACT really surprised me. Of all the states, you know, I was hoping it was going to be New South Wales, to be honest, I live in New South Wales. And it would have been nice if it was New South Wales, but yeah, ACT. Mm. ACT. Mm. Yeah, they were also surprised that both Northern Territory and South Australia was a no, I think, from one of the news clips that I saw. I mean, nobody was surprised about Queensland and, and Western Australia, but you know, mm. pretty much, yeah, like you said, every state. Yeah. And who's they interviewed, who's a lawyer and member of the UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, who says it's very sad and it's grieving. The majority of Australian people could not see the sense in finally recognising Aboriginal people. She said, this is a truth-telling moment for Australia and a wake-up call that we need to really do so much better and have those courageous conversations about racism and Indigenous rights. So they go on to talk about it being a damning result. They go on to talk about the types of issues they're trying to overcome about human rights, dignity, equality, practical reforms. And, yeah, and then I guess they're going to talk a little bit about why they think the vote was a no. They talk about the misinformation, a play the role. I don't know if, I don't know. I mean, there totally was. There's a lot of confusion. I could sense a lot of confusion. Mm. Because apparently at the beginning there was quite a lot of support before it got started. Yeah, and after the campaign, well, you know what? The No campaign did a really good job. They did do a really good job, and I think that they were saying the particular damning one was if you don't, if you're not sure, vote no, and that was yeah, Mm. didn't help. Didn't help at all. Yeah. So, and then there was yeah. I'm not saying people are voted no races. What I am saying, there was a lot of racism in the campaign. Yes. Um, even, yes, people calling no people racist. And there was a lot of, it was just a bit dirty and horrid, mm. really grueling. 
very reminiscent of what happened when there was the ref. We do a referendum for, we did do a referendum for, or a poll or something for the same sex, you know, marriage. I would do a referendum, but it was a vote by the postal. Yeah, right. That's, that's right. Yeah, there was a lot of ugliness. There was a bit, I don't think it was as much though, was it? There was some ugliness. No, I think, I think there was. I remember one of the senators, Penny Wong, I think her name is, her name is, and she's been politician for a long time, how she was just disgusted by, you know, all the comments and all the, yeah, just bigotry and whatnot. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, this, there is hope because you've got the people who voted yes and the people who voted no but are committed to better outcomes. Yes. For whatever reason, didn't think that was the salute, that was going to help for whatever their reasoning. Well, at least there is, you know, that gives people hope. I just think this sets Australia back. I think it, this sets this reconciliation back so much. Yeah, because I can't, I'm not 100% sure on how, because nobody has a plan otherwise, you know what I mean? So I think it would, it is difficult to see where to go from here. Mm. Because they're saying, oh, you need to put more money here, you need to fix this, this and this. But they're not, they're not coming up with something different that hasn't already been tried. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the definition of craziness. Yeah. Doing the same, same thing and thinking you're going to get a different result. Yeah. I think Pim Dunn was saying oh, more reports on, you know, the different issues there are out there, you know, whatever it was, I can't quite remember. I'm just like, but I'm sure this has been, this has been done, the reports come in, the, you know, yeah. I don't. I, I hear a lot of that again. Again, information as post action. Yeah, exactly. And actually, I learned. You know, I did learn a lot during this campaign that I didn't know. So, for example, the whole thing about having a treaty. Mm. Apparently, the reason that that's not easy is because there's so many nations, and your treaties with a nation. Yeah. So there's so many nations. So and not and they don't have a representative. So who would the treaty be with kind of thing? So that was, whereas in New Zealand, there's just one nation. Yeah. And so the treaties with the one nation, but here there's so many. And, you know, that one, that one doesn't represent that one. That one doesn't represent that one. So you, so that's why having a treaty is not necessarily the way to go. But I didn't know that. So, you know, I'm learning lots of things. The other thing I learned is that it was the, the lib- is it the liberal? Yeah, the liberal. It was them who initiated this whole voice thing. It was them who went to the Aboriginal leaders and said, what do you want? Yeah. And organised this big conference and said, give us, and the voice was part of the things that they submitted to what yeah. they wanted. So it was kind of them that started this. Yeah, but that was one of the problems is that they would ask, they were told, and nothing was done. Yeah, all this is a thing. They asked what they wanted, they were told, and nothing was done. And then the Labour Prime Minister has come in and said, we're going to do something. Which which makes the whole situation for me even worse. Because it's like that whole process, years of doing, trying to get this done. And then, yeah. Yeah, quite a few years ago. Yeah, and the misinformation ironically being spread by the Liberals to, you know didn't help the situation so it's quite it's quite dirty but that's pretty much all the story says 
this this interview here said that the result was a sad moment in country's history and that because the voice was rejected by the majority of the country, she believed the result would put reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australian backwards. She says it would be at least two generations before Australians are capable of putting their colonial hatreds behind them and acknowledging that we exist. Yeah. It's just really sad. Anyway, very, very, very sad. And then something else that isn't part of this article and what the proposal is now is a grieving process because you would be grieving. Mm, absolutely. Because if you think about it, it's like from an Indigenous First Nations Australia, what else can you do? Mm. We've, got all, we've got all these problems. We want change. Mm. You're championing change, but you don't have any power. Yes. And you're, the ones that do have power have reached out a hand and go, what do you want? What do you need? Yeah. And you've gone... You've got all the different leaders from the different nations coming together. You're, you're coming together so that you can share a voice together and go with, present a united front to say, this is, what, this is what we want, this is what we think will help. And then on to be saying no. Yeah, absolutely. But not really coming up with anything better or different. Yeah. It must be disheartening. That's going to be so disheartening. But the other thing is, yeah, this grieving process now, there was a, on the actual website for The Voice, they made a press release, I guess, a statement mm -hmm. saying basically that it's a bitter irony that people who've only been on this continent for 235 years would refuse to recognise those who whose home this has and land this has been for 60,000 or more years beyond reason. But that's how the world has got a world over. I'll just say that's the reality of the world over. Lots, there's lots of conquering. And, yes. You know, with the Brits and the Dutch and the French and the Spanish. Mm, yeah. There's lots of that going on. And dispossession of our people. I just don't know why you'd be proud to have an Indigenous community. I just yeah. think it's so impressive. Like, the UK doesn't have weapons and whatever. They don't have that kind of, the history doesn't go that far back. I mean, it goes back. Right. right. Absolutely. But there wasn't one nation or, you know, not one. There wasn't yeah. a, a group of people. It was all different yeah. from oh, everywhere. The sheer size of Australia, like you couldn't. Like back in the day, there was no way that you could be one nation because they, you know, they don't, too big. Like, too big. Yeah. But just for me, that's just so, there's such a rich, mm. something to be proud of, whether you're yeah. white, white or white or non, not Indigenous, non-Indigenous. Like even in, like in the US, the same with their Indigenous. It's like, wow. Yeah. Got yeah. this. This is part of their culture, part of their. Yeah, you know, saying I just, I just think it's sad. I think unless people stop hiding from it, like you know that we've done things in the past, they're not going to be able to acknowledge how unique it is, right? Mm. And anyway, so the, there's a morning, the rest, you know, a week of silence mm -hmm. for the voice itself. It's a week of silence. She says, I'm not going to read it all, but it's one of the things he says, the only thing we ask 
is that each and every Australian who voted in this election reflect hard on this question, right. which is much will be asked about the role of racism and prejudice against Indigenous people in this result, right. which is kind of what we posed. Some, there definitely will be some of that. Yeah. And even the ones that think they're not, there'll be some of that. Because there has to be a fear. The, the, there's a fear lying behind the now. What are they afraid of what happened? Mm -hmm. There's a fear there. So I think you only you can answer what that fear is. So, yeah, much will be asked, yeah. And then to our people, we say, do not shed tears. This rejection will, was never for others to issue. The truth is that rejection was always ours to determine. The truth is that we offered this recognition and it has been refused. We now know where we stand in this, our own country, always was, always will be. We will not rest long, pack up the Uluru Statement from the heart, fly our flags loud, talk not of, uh, of recognition and reconciliation, only of justice and the rights of our people in our own country, things that no one else can gift us, but to which we are entitled by fact that this is the country of our birth and inheritance. We gather our strength and resolve, and when we determine a new direction for justice and our rights, let us once again unite. Let us convene in due course to carefully consider our path forward. We're calling a week of silence from Saturday mm. to grieve this outcome and reflect on its meaning and significance. We will not be com commenting further on the result of this time. We will be lowering our Aboriginal Torres Islander flags to half-mast with a week of silence to acknowledge this result. We have scholars to do the same. Which is fair. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, I do hope, even after all this, that once they do regroup, that we can move forward and, and do something actually tangible um, instead of the same. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very much overdue. Very much so. So I have an article from the ABC, and it reads, Young First Nations filmmaker takes to YouTube to share culture and language on Townie Time. What's Townie Time? Well, that's her last name. Townie, T-O-W-N-E-Y. Right. Oh, Townie. Yeah. yeah. So it talks about this young, young person who's, she was only six years old, when she made an unplanned appearance in front of the Black Lives Matter rally in Dubbo, mm -hmm. the crowd was asked if anyone wanted to come up and say anything. And this young child looked at her mum and said, I want to go up. And the mum said, well, I can't go with you. Then Penelope, that's her name, say so she was like, okay. And she went up and she said, which I think resonates very well to, to what the other person in the in the Uluru statement said. But she said, I just wanted to say that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And she was six years old at the time that she did this in front of, well, a lot of people. For Penelope, that moment was the start of what would become her passion for preserving her, her culture. And it goes on to say that she has since become a YouTuber, which is county time. And in the channel, she has monthly videos that feature Penelope speaking to experts about legends and stories and culture 
games and everything in between. Her big dream is to film an episode with Dolly Parton, which is... <laughs> wow, she loves Dolly Parton. <laughs> yes, exactly. In the first episode, she speaks about, she speaks to astrophysicist Kirsten Banks, who's a person of, of uh, Aboriginal descent, about the constellation of the emu in the sky. And they discuss, you know, you know, how how to find it and things like that. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's just very inspirational. It does go on to tell more about, you know, the time when her grandfather tells her about the stars and how to read them and things like that. But yeah, very inspiring. She's nine years old now. Wow. She, She's got her own YouTube channel. She has her own YouTube channel. Yeah. So has she actually made a film or is it the YouTube channel? Uh, she wants, it's the YouTube channel, I think. Right. And, uh, well, it does say she has become a filmmaker and, and YouTuber, but I'm not really sure that the link inside the article is for her YouTube episode. So, yeah. So, yeah. No, it's very exciting. It is very exciting. Oh, that's so sweet. Such a sweet story. What was the name? Penelope Townie. Townie. I'm seeing if, if she has made anything. Yeah. I think she just makes like kind of long. She was on NITV, but they're like yeah. long. Yeah, cute. She makes a short film. Uh, she debuted a short film called The Land We're On. Oh. Um, and it was on NITV. So she made her first film when she was six. That's so cute. Oh, my gosh. So cute. Oh, good story. Um, there's, I was looking for stories, and, and I wanted to find something a little bit more positive. Yeah. Relevant, relevant to our whole theme and positive. And I found this, and I really liked it because it really – talks to the the hidden idea of white privilege it's I just it's quite it's quite tricky I haven't watched it and I need to watch it there's a Netflix thing with is it Hillary Clinton's daughter oh and it's yeah something about white privilege but I've not seen that but I'd like to watch it actually but anyway this kind of highlights it on another level and I liked it and it's, I mean it's, it's about a Latin American guy, but it's relevant to, to most minorities living in the West. Mm. So you've got this, the title of this is, is from Huffington Post, and the title is My Mom Sent Me and My Four Siblings to Harvard. Here's the one thing I tell people about success. So the article is, is written by an entrepreneur, Tom Chavez, and it's his story. And being an entrepreneur, he's often speaking about his successes and and always talking about, you know, his background, his, you know, his roots, his upbringing. And he comes from a very, very modest, if not poor, very poor, breadline kind of family history. And he's a really successful entrepreneur. So he talks about, you know, his parents being from New Mexico, Mexican immigrants and how they worked, you know, his dad worked the railroad and how they rose up 
by work, by hard work and how the, the parents managed to send the four of the kids to Harvard, which is amazing. Five. Five, yeah, five of the kids to Harvard. Really? And he talks about his mum being the first kid to graduate from high school even yeah. and to get a professional job. But what was the thing? This, this, the guy doing the interview, he's the middle child, went to Harvard, did PhD at Stanford, serial entrepreneur, sold the startups to Microsoft, Salesforce, lots of moolah. So on conferences and podcasts, he gets, you know, he talks about this powerful story. And it's that typical great American dream where anybody can make it if you just mm. work hard kind of thing. Yeah, beating all the odds. It's like the, you know, Overcoming all the odds, listing yourself up to greater height. Oh, then turn your light on because it's gone down. Um, and that's like being typical story that movies are made of these days. And he goes on to say, not quite. He says, you know, his family history, yeah, they grew up with sewage right outside the window. He says, but that narrative that, you know, that pulling yourself up the bootstraps and all, that narrative glosses over systemic inequality that still exists. And it says it also erases the many nuances of his own experiences, including struggles, setbacks, and shortcomings, as he tries to live up to this, this example set by his parents. And he, he talks about this story where his, one of his first companies, his mum came to him and said, You've got all these great jobs to offer. Why aren't you hiring more Latinos? And he says, and this is probably what a lot of people say, enough Latinos in these roles with these skills. Yeah. So that's what he told his mum. That's what he believed. And technically is probably right. Yeah. And that's what people say. And, you know, why isn't there more black people? Why isn't there more Asian people? Why isn't there more diverse people of colour in your organisation? And there's like, well, this isn't the... There wasn't more indigenous people, yeah. you know. Oh, just uh, there isn't as many. They've got skills with the skills that we need. That's probably a typical answer, right? Yeah, and that's why I like this article because it talks about, like he talks about, you know, he was the only American Latino born Latino that went in his class at Stanford, and he noticed, and you do notice. Well, you notice when you're the only black person or a person of color in the room or a class or a, I just, I'm so used to it that I just actually more, has more of an impact on me if there's actually other people of color. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Will it be weird if I go up and say hi? It's actually more of a, woo, to me now. But he, you know, he talks about that. And it, he wrote off the whole fact that, you know, he's the only Latin boy. In his class at uni, he just, you know, it's a pipeline problem. And he says that his mother, a woman who would never let hide, stop her from doing anything, listen politely. But he says, I doubt she was convinced. He says he wonders whether at that moment his mum was a little bit ashamed of him. And he says he wouldn't blame her if, he was, if she was. He says that wasn't even the turning point for him. And he said he didn't actually change very much when that happened. He said, but over time, his awareness of how others perceived him while having a drink with one of his bosses, he remembered an incident where he received a, there was something from higher up in the company when he was an employee, 
Let's say in every team you just be more diverse. Um, and he thought there wasn't enough diversity, but that's not what he meant. The man who I'd worked with for years assumed our staff was entirely white. So he was working in this team and his boss and his team thought he was white. They did not have no idea he was Mexican-American. And they were laughing and he said, and he said to his boss, he didn't know I was Mexican. What did you think I was? And the boss was just like, oh, I don't know, vaguely Mediterranean. And they laughed and then, but he said that stuck with him um, because he realized that he's passing as white. And that doesn't detect, detract from the work, how hard he worked to get there. But what it does highlight is if he was obviously Mexican, would he have had the same opportunities? Would yeah. the same doors be open? Would be welcome in the same same tables? And that's and that's what people don't get. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand that. It's, you can be as hardworking. It's not about the skill. I bet you there's loads of really smart. Well, that's what he says. It's about opportunity. And there's all these unconscious bias that prevent these opportunities from happening. And, and that's why we're here. So he says, you know, he, I will never discount that work or those sacrifices. Mum and dad struggle long and hard for him. But he wonders what doors were open to him that would have been closed to other Latinos who weren't white passing. Yeah. And he says... He says the numbers don't lie. He says in 2023, those, are, those who are Latin account for 19% of the U.S. population, but 8% of tech workers and 3% of tech executives and 2% of venture capital that wind up being invested in companies. Mm. So that's quite disproportionate. He says there are millions of Mexican-American kids from wherever he grew up and around the country. They're much smarter than him. He said, the anomaly isn't that Mexican-American kid from Albuquerque can do what I do. The anomaly is that I was given the chance to do it. So he's starting to talk to see that himself. You know, tech industry brags about hiring the best and the brightest. So they'll go to the, you know, the Ivy League schools. Mm. Well, they're missing out on pulls the candidates because of cultural norms and self-reinforcing dynamics that only let certain types of people in the room. So he says they have to do better. And then he goes on to talk about an organisation that he supports that teaches kids computer science, teaches kids from migrant labourers computer science. And he's even hired some of them, like hired the smartest of them to become engineers in his, his company. Um, so those are the kind of opportunities that he's creating. Well, they don't just exist. And I just think that's what, that's what equality is about. Mm -hmm. And I think people don't understand that. Uh, or they think that you're trying to diminish their hard work. Yeah. But the fact is, there's way more opportunities and way more doors open for them. You know, people willing to engage in the conversation. Um, yeah. especially if you've got an accent, for example. Yeah. You can be smarter than anyone if you've got an accent so people yeah. aren't going to engage with you. Yeah, because mm. lots of people don't see the fact that you can speak two languages, three languages or four languages 
as, oh, wow, it's amazing. They see it as, oh, you can't speak English properly or your accent isn't very well understood or whatever the case may be. Oh, do you remember the, there was this viral sort of what's, what looks, what was it? I'm trying to get it right. Sorry. What looks classy when you're rich and trashy when you're poor, but it's the same thing. And one of it was holding up a, like an article that talked about, I can't remember who it was. I think it was like the Danish royal family and how the kids you know, it was amazing that the kids were already speaking like two languages by the time they were four. And then they're like, but that's most migrant kids, like literally in most families. But it was amazing when you're like white and whatever and rich, but you know, like what is standard is it's not even. I get it. But it is amazing. Yeah. No, because have, and people don't even think like they look at it in one point of view saying, oh yeah, that's amazing. But then they, the same thing somewhere else in a color, you know. It's context, yeah. Exactly. Mm. Not talking anymore. So. Yeah, yeah. I know. That's what you, they miss how impressive it is. Yes. And it's, a, you know, immigrant. But at the same time, it is impressive that white people can speak lots of languages. Yeah. I'm more impressed because they're less inclined to do that. That's well, what's impressive. Depending on where you're from. Right? Yeah. Like, I think Europeans, yes, they have lots of them that speak lots of languages, but America, Australia, Australia, I'm assuming Canada, UK, not so much either, honestly. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm guilty. I'm one of them. You know, I only speak English, and I understand a bit of Spanish from high school, and that's it. Oh, yeah. terrible. But anyway, so I'm always impressed with anyone that speaks lots of languages. I always yeah. think about because I worked with you know in Asia and worked with a lot of a lot of my team. Everybody in my team was non English. English as a second language. Mm. Nearly everyone, by one or two people. Mm. I was impressed because the, how your brain has to think and translate and oh, it, absolutely write complex things, especially in our industry. Yeah, it's impressive. I remember when I first got here, I remember, I can't remember which parent it was, but my, one of my parents was like, no, you're not, you're not going to the English as a second language class. You're, you're not going to use that. You're going to be in the proper English class and you're going to do proper English. And it was like, my parents made it like a conscious decision that they would speak English at home, you know, just so we didn't fall behind or, you know, were perceived as being less educated because we couldn't really, you know, speak English. So it actually made English the thing, you know. Um, and so to fit in, you sort of like go a little bit of your own culture, just a little bit, just so, you know, yeah, you can fit in a bit better. So, yeah. yeah. So and then this finishes, I'll just finish with what he says. It says, these kids, adults now, remind me every day of something totally essential, real success comes not from individual achievements, but fulfilling our shared responsibility to create opportunities, open doors, and empower others to follow. So he tells the young Latinos and others from underprivileged backgrounds that he mentors that they have to do just one thing. Never believe there is a room you have no right to walk into. It's okay to doubt yourself now and again, but you've got to believe in your own power, your own agency, your own ability to make it so. And when you eventually do land in one of those rooms you never thought you'd enter, take a moment to relish that you've arrived, but also understand that's when the most important work begins. 
It's when you make sure to leave the door open behind you so you can usher others following your lead to their own seats at the table. Mm, very helpful. I thought it was great. I might even quote it. <laughs> might even quote him in my socials. Yeah, no, no. So that was all the stories. I we've got a what we could do. I can't think of one today. Yeah, I know. Bit of a day. Bit of a day. We're still, yeah. we're still a bit uh, from the results, I think. Yes, I think so. I've stopped reading all the articles, to be honest. I was on LinkedIn all year and I stopped because there were people on there sort of going, yay, we went no, and I was just like, oh, you know, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Do you know, no, would, I would be much more comfortable with no if they had a, another solution. Yeah, absolutely. But they never, they never did. It's just basically it's just it was status quo. Yeah, let's just leave things how they are. Anyway, let's not. Let's not. All we can do is vote. Yes. Mm. And advocate for more opportunities. Mm. All right, well, I will see you on your birthday. Yes. Me and I'll turn in forward. Oh, we're going to have a big party. But by the time this comes out, we'll attach your birthday. Yeah, it'll be done and over. It'll be done and dusted. I know. We might tell you all about it. We'll see. All right, love, thanks for the chat. Good chatting to you. You too. See you next time. See you next Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you have as much fun with us today as we did. If what you heard resonated with you, don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email us stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya.